0: Faith Memorial Church was founded in 1945 as Cleveland Evangelistic Center. A lot has changed since then, but one thing hasn't. Faith Memorial Church's passion for Christ and compassion for the people of our community. If you have your Bibles, and you want to flip over to Joshua chapter 7. You can go ahead and do that. Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to preach on a very familiar story this morning. I'm going to preach on the sin of Achan. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his name. It could be a con. I just It doesn't end very well for him. And at the end of the story, he's kind of aching. So I like to call him Achan. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, um, but I'm going to preach this in a hopefully a little bit of a different way than maybe you've heard it in the past. Normally, people would preach this, and I myself have preached this passage, and I will preach it in such a way as you can't have victory with sin in the camp. I mean, that's true. That's a true statement. You cannot have victory with sin in the camp. But that's not how I'm going to preach it this morning. That's not how I'm going to preach it this morning. This morning... I'm going to preach something that I'm not really comfortable preaching. And coming from me, that's saying quite a bit. (laughs) I'm just giving you a little bit of a disclaimer. I talked to Lois the other day, and she said, you see my hair, I give people a disclaimer now. And it's like, yeah, I have to give a disclaimer every time I stand up behind a pulpit. So here's your disclaimer. I am sorry. I am not thinking negatively of anyone. I am not thinking positively of anyone. I am just preaching what I believe God has put on my heart. And God is so funny in how he deals with me. Because sometimes he is so direct and so abrupt and so abrasive that it hurts. And sometimes he kind of goes indirectly to get me where he wants me to go. And I don't know if that's because I would be like resistant to his will if I, he came straight up. I don't know. But I had actually planned on preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I was going to preach godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, that's what I was going to preach is godliness with contentment is great gain. And as I was meditating on that, the Lord put Achan in my, in my heart, and my mind, and it would not go away. And when I began to read Joshua chapter 7, I began to realize God wanted me to preach a very specific message to the congregation because of some of the things we've been dealing with. Now hear me very clearly. I don't use this pulpit as a whipping post. If I know that you're dealing with a sin or a bondage, I'm not going to get up the very next Sunday and preach against that. I don't do that. I think that that's immature, and I think that's bad leadership. But when God tells me to preach on something specifically, I don't ignore him. I want you to do me a favor. We're going to go on an adventure, and I don't know how this is going to go. But I want you to look beside you. Look to one side, look to the other, look in front of you, look back. Does anybody see an empty chair? Does anybody see an empty chair? Yeah, there's there's several of them. Does anybody see a chair that somebody used to sit in that has left the church? Before me, coming, after I've come, does anybody see an empty chair of someone that's left? I do too. Let me ask you a question. Does it hurt when somebody leaves the church? Raise your hand. Does it hurt? I don't like it either. When I counsel pastors, because I've got a couple pastors that I I'm, I talk with regularly that I, I give them advice. Sometimes it's unsolicited. I don't care. If you talk to me, I'm going to give you my opinion on the situation. You know that when you call me. So you just accept it and be ready for it because it's going to happen. If you don't want my opinion or my advice, don't tell me what's going on. Because <laughs> I'm not going to stand before God and, say, and God say, why didn't you tell them? Well, because I was afraid I'd hurt their feelings. Who cares? Tell them anyway. Preach it. That's right. That's right. So if I hurt anyone's feelings today, understand it hurt mine first. Um, But one thing that I always tell pastors, and faith can verify this, and maybe I've told some of you when you're dealing with a difficult situation, I have this saying, this, this motif that I always share with somebody when they're going through a difficult situation, especially one of loss. And it sounds crude, but I don't mean it that way. The saying is simply this, sometimes God has to clean out your closet to give you new clothes. Sometimes God has to clean out your closet to give you new clothes. Loss isn't bad or good inherently, it's just loss. But how we respond to that makes all the difference in the world. See, in the church, we get a little confused. We think that everything should be a season of harvest but there's also a season of sowing, and there's also a season of sacrifice. And when you're trying to have a season of harvest during the time of sacrifice, you're not going to end up very well. And if you're trying to sow in the season of harvest, it's not going to turn out well. Understanding the seasons and the life stages of a church is extremely important. Before I preach the whole message, let's read Joshua chapter 7. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here's your Bible reading for today. Beginning in verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I like saying it that way, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zarahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zarahites come forward by family and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son. Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all the Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the gold, the robe, and his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then Israel stoned him, and after they stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Accor or the Valley of Trouble ever since. Wow. So you can see why somebody would preach this and say you can't have victory with sin in the camp. (laughs) You can't. You know, the very first verse of this kind of baffles me. Here's why. The Lord reveals the underlying cultural, uh, spiritual condition before the narrative even starts. I mean, he does. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the v- devoted things. And then the narrative starts. The Israel was unfaithful. It was one man. Israel, the whole nation, unfaithful. But it was one man. You're talking about a nation, at minimum, Some people estimate that it was in the millions, but at minimum, it was the hundreds of thousands. At minimum. An entire people were hindered because of one man. Is that not incredible? One man became a stumbling block and a hindrance that prevented an entire nation of hundreds of thousands of people of stepping into what God had promised them. Their inheritance, what God was giving to them, where God wanted to take them, they couldn't go because of one man. That one man that needed to be removed so that they could go where God wanted to take them. Achan was with... The children of Israel in the wilderness, right? He was with the children of Israel in the wilderness. When they went through all that they went through in the wilderness, and an entire generation was killed off because they didn't have faith and didn't believe God, Achan was a part of the group that believed because he wasn't killed in the wilderness. And he was old enough to fight because he went into Jericho. So he wasn't a part of the generation that was killed off because of unbelief. So he went through the wilderness, he crossed the Jordan. And he went through the battle of Jericho. And he didn't hinder Israel from any of that. There were people that hindered Israel from making it out of the wilderness, and they were had to be removed. Achan wasn't a part of that removal or that purging or that pruning. He was able to cross the Jordan. Is able to help overthrow Jericho and who knows Achan could have been instrumental in the battle of Jericho he could have been one of the best fighters in the battle of Jericho we just don't know but the truth of the matter is is that was as far as he was meant to go we have a problem in church because we think that people that are supposed to be there for a season are supposed to be there permanently we think seasonal soldiers are supposed to be permanent dwellers there is the tribe of reuben the tribe of gad and half the tribe of manasseh and they wanted to live on the east side of the jordan they didn't want to live on the west side so really there was no point in them crossing the jordan except that they made a promise to god and moses saying we won't dwell and settle down until we help our brothers engage in their inheritance until we help them earn their inheritance We won't settle down until everyone in Israel can settle down. So you know what they did? They crossed the Jordan, and they went through battles like Jericho and Ai, never having the intention to dwell on that side of the Jordan because they knew that they were seasonal soldiers, not permanent dwellers. See, sometimes in church, God's going to bring people to the church that are meant to help the church for a season, and then they're meant to go somewhere else. But we have a localized territorial mindset where when someone leaves the church, we think, oh, no, they must be evil or we must be evil or they must not be good enough or we must not be good enough. And sometimes that's the case. Listen, sometimes there's people in the church that are they are not seasonal soldiers or permanent dwellers. They're evil infiltrators. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2. There were some that came among us to spy out the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might make us slaves. We didn't give them a moment. There are evil infiltrators that come in and they have to be removed. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18. If you go to them by yourself, if you go to them with the elders, if you present them to the church, then you get them out of your fellowship because they are hindering you from going where God wants you to go. And there are people like that. But not everyone that leaves the church is leaving because they're wicked or evil. Not everyone is doing that. Sometimes it's just because their season of participation is up. And if they stay too long, then they're going to hinder us from going where God wants us to go. God has to clean out your closets to give you new clothes. And sometimes the clothes that He's cleaning out are good, high-quality, designer model clothes, but they just need to belong to someone else now. Maybe it's because you've grown a few sizes. (laughs) Or maybe, praise God, you've shrunk a few. That's much less often. But hey, maybe that's the case. We need to begin to learn the difference between seasonal soldiers, evil infiltrators, and permanent dwellers. And here's what's so crazy about all of that. If you don't, it's going to create issues. Look, they just came through Joshua chapter 6, the previous chapter, is all about the victory of Jericho. That's a big victory. That was a victory they didn't think that they were going to win. They had to have the Lord come, the captain, the host, and get a spiritual strategy to win that. But then the battle of Ai, which they thought they only needed a couple thousand people for, threw them for a loop. See, when people stay too long, and they're supposed to leave. Whether they be a seasonal soldier and they're leaving because God's called them elsewhere, or whether they be an evil infiltrator and sin is in the camp and they're preventing you from going to where God wants you to take, if you keep them too long, little problems become insurmountable obstacles. You ever had somebody flip out and leave the church and cause division because of the paint color on the wall? I have. I've seen a church closed because of the paint color on a wall. And it was the one they chose. They chose the paint color and then it got painted and they caused division and the church ended up closed because of it. I'm not kidding. But you know what? It really isn't about the color on the wall. It's because they weren't supposed to be there no more. And instead of removing them, I was. this was my first pastor, instead of removing them when they needed to be removed, They stayed a little bit too long and an easy, insignificant issue became an insurmountable obstacle. It became an impossible situation. I've had people blow up because there wasn't coffee in the church. I've had people blow up because of the carpet color. I've had people blow up because seats were moved. Or because somebody sat in the seat they sat in every Sunday. I've seen problems out the wazoo. I've had people come up to me while I was operating the sound booth and say, it's too hot in here. Can you lower it? I've had immediately after someone say, it's too cold in here. Can you raise it? I've had someone come say, it's too loud. And immediately following someone come say, I can't hear it. In the same service. All four of them, one service. I'm not lying. It was like a daggum revolving door to the sound booth. (sighs) One come in, the other come out. Have you ever seen the Emperor's New Groove? You know, he's in the the kitchen and they walk in, no cheese. No, I want cheese. No potatoes. Wait, I want potatoes. And it's like back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. That's what the sound booth was like that day. Back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Because those people, they didn't make one trip. They followed up to see if their request was accomplished. Sometimes we let evil infiltrators stay too long. Sometimes we make seasonal soldiers stay too long because we guilt trip them, because we beg them to stay. We don't want them to leave. Look, I get sad when I see empty seats because you know what I classify each empty seat? That's somebody that could be hearing the gospel that's not. That's somebody that could be going to hell that's not sitting where I know they could hear the word and be changed. And it breaks my heart. Every time I see an empty seat, it breaks my heart. But I understand. Rather, God makes me and helps me understand that there is a season of purging and a season of sacrifice. Look, when you have to get rid of all your clothes because they don't fit no more, it doesn't feel good to look in your closet to get ready on a Sunday morning and not have any outfits to put on. Especially if you ain't got the money to go buy more. I've been there. Oh, these suits don't fit no more. I've gained a couple pants sizes since I got married, I ain't got no more suits to wear. (laughs) Let's just squeeze, suck it in. (laughs) Hopefully these buttons don't fly off and knock somebody out. (laughs) Come on, come on. You can laugh, it's okay. But I'm serious, I've been there. That season of separation doesn't feel good. Cutting never does. But if you don't experience the cutting, you don't get the harvest. Because there ain't no room. Israel went through the battle of Jericho And they thought that AI was going to be easy They thought AI was going to be easy They said, don't we, don't even need to, we don't need you to meet with the captain of the Lord's host We don't need you to go before God And figure out how we need to go about this We don't even need you to wake up the whole army This is nothing We got this And I know their intention was good but because they weren't seeking the mind of God, the result was bad. Because if they would have sought God before sending that 3,000, God would have been like, You need to deal with an issue before you keep moving forward. But a lot of times we set things up in a mechanical motion. We're like, We can accomplish it. We got this. Come on, that's why we write books like Sticky Church. I'm not beating up on the book Sticky Church, but that's why we write books like Church Growth and we have our seminars and we talk about how to get people to come to church and stay. You need the air at this level. You need to give them donuts when they come in the door. You need to make sure you have coffee and give them little bags with gifts in it. And you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this and your marketing strategy needs to be like this. And you need to have this color in the room and all of these things because we have gotten to a point where we say, we've got this. We've gotten to a point where we say, God... We don't need to wake up the whole army. We don't need to go before the captain of the Lord's host. We don't need to find out God's will for this situation. We got this. And then we wonder why we're getting our hind ends handed to us and getting beat up by little obstacles that should never even create a hiccup. It should be just a little speed bump. You slow down, hit the speed bump, then you keep going. But instead, it's a pothole that tears your whole front end out because we don't seek the mind of the Lord first. And it's the same mindset that they have, we got this. That's what got Achan in the trouble in the first place. If you go to the end of the chapter, you don't have to go there, but if you, if you want to follow this through, at the very end when Joshua says, speak up, give God the glory, tell us what you did. Achan says, I was looking and I saw among the plunder. Now, this is a small, subtle little detail that if you're not paying attention, you'll just read right over it. I did, multiple times. I've never looked at it like this before. But when I read that this week and I seen among the plunder, what I realized was if you go back to Joshua 6, when the battle strategy for Jericho is being laid out, the word plunder is not used because there is no plunder. Everything is designated as destruction or devoted to God. There is no plunder. And see, what Achan has is he has this little shift in perspective that's ever so slight, and it happens to every single one of us. And the shift in perspective is that we shift it from being God's gift to our earned. Plunder is something you earn because you win a victory. There was no plunder because they didn't win a victory. God gave them a victory. And he designated everything as destruction or devotion. But Achan saw it as plunder. I had something to do with this. I earned my salvation. I put in the work. I am much more righteous than they are. God, why aren't you increasing this church? I'm praying twice a day, every day. God, why aren't people responding to my sermons better? I know they're awesome. But I'm serious. We do this. We think, I, I, I. I've done it. I've put in the work. I've put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I've put in the time. I've done my due diligence. I've earned this. Where's my plunder at? And we look at empty chairs. And so that's why we adopt these marketing strategies or these business practices. Because we, we realize, or we, we think, okay, if God's not going to do it, I've got to do it myself. And we start putting in all this mechanical, business-like practices. And we just factor the Spirit of God right out of the equation. And that's the same thing that got Achan in trouble is because he began to look at it as what he did and what he could do. And he felt entitled to it. So he coveted it and took it. The children of Israel were making the same mistake a little bit later down the road. Look at what we did at Jericho. We can handle AI. They're not as big. They ain't got the same walls. We got this. We don't need the whole army. We just need two or 3,000 people. We just need a small percentage we don't need to let the whole church know. We'll just put it on the shoulders of one or two individuals. No. No, no, no. I don't care what it is. Anyone that's asked me to do anything in the church, any anywhere, you ask me to start this, you ask me to do this, you ask me to cha- make this change. If you haven't got this response from me, either you're lying or I I messed up because my response is always default. I always say I don't do anything without God telling me to first. And if someone says, hey, I want a men's group, my response is always going to be that's great. I want you to take a couple weeks, I want you to pray about it, and I want you to come back to me with a vision and a plan for implementation, a strategy, and what it's going to look like. Because if God's put it on your heart, then he must be wanting you to start something. And I'm just going to help facilitate and make sure that you do that to the glory of God and not some half-hearted, half-behind effort that doesn't do anything. I was good. I watched. I I didn't say anything inappropriate. Don't roll your eyes at me. (laughs) But we get this perspective shift and we begin to think, we can do it. We don't need God. We'll just sing songs and say that we're singing to Him. Let me tell you something, if you build a church out of your effort and you get people together out of your effort, when you sing those songs, you're lying i'm I'm serious. If you do everything and it's all you, 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 then when you get together, you're worshipping you and what you've done. So they lose insurmountable obstacle, they lose. And then I love this part. Joshua pitches a fit. This is what I would call pitching a fit. Joshua pitches a fit. He rips his clothes, he falls flat on his face, and he lays there for hours. This is the equivalent of me telling my kids, hey, you got to clean up. It's time to get ready for bed. And they go, I just don't want to. I'm serious. Like, look, he lost 36 of his friends. Friends, fathers, brothers, cousins. 36 people died, so he's got good reason to be upset. Because when you don't let separation happen and the people that are supposed to go stay, people die. Spiritually, people die. And they end up leaving too. Because you were trying to hold on to somebody that needed to go. Or because you were trying to force somebody out that needed to stay. Because we don't understand the difference in the seasons. Anytime someone tells me they're leaving the church, I give them, the same response. I keep, I've said that a bunch. I have these default responses. I don't mean them to be mechanical, but I just, I just have these default responses to situations. And when you're a pastor and you get asked the same question five million times, you just get a default answer for that question. So when people tell me they're leaving the church, I always do the same thing. I give them my right hand, right hand of fellowship, shake their hand. I say, I love you. I'm not mad at you. You're welcome back anytime. I have never and I will never ask anyone to stay. Because they always end up leaving in a few months and it's always worse than it would have been if you just let them go when they were supposed to. Because if God's actually calling them to leave, you making them stay is pushing them to be disobedient to the will of God. And if they become disobedient, they become achan, and then you can't have victory because they're sin in the camp. But Joshua pitches a fit and all the elders do likewise. Listen, I don't know if they was flailing, but when I picture this in my mind, I picture flailing. Like this is inappropriate, but I'm just gonna do it. I picture like Joshua getting down like this for the ark, and I picture him going, <sighs> probably a lot of whining, you know, like, oh God, why did you do this, God, why? I just picture it. That's the way I picture it. I could be wrong, but that's that's the way that I picture it. I picture the flailing and the whining. And come on, every one of you have done this before God. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have gotten down and you have flailed and you have pitched a fit and you have whined and you've stomped your You're like, God, I just don't get it. I don't understand. You know you have. And then what ends up happening is you end up pointing the finger at God and blaming it all on Him. Joshua says, God, it would have been better if we never crossed the Jordan. We'd have been content if we stayed on the other side. See, that's where the link comes in. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But contentment is never meant to be an excuse for spiritual lethargy. It's never meant to be an excuse to keep you out of walking into what God has for you. Sometimes there's what's called a holy discontent because you realize I was content here because God had me there. But now this new season's come and God wants me here. And I'm not going to be content if I'm not where God wants me to be. I need to move so that I can go back to my godly contentment. Because that's great gain. But you know what? He says, it would have been better. Meaning the the Jericho victory was just a sham. Essentially is what he's saying. Like, we didn't need to fight Jericho. We didn't need that victory. We didn't need those people saved. We didn't need those people baptized. We could have stayed back here. And it would have been better. It would have been better if they never came to the church. It would have been better if they never showed up. We could have stayed back here. We would have been happy. We would have been content. Sin will always inevitably lead you to reflecting your unfaithfulness on God and try to make it His unfaithfulness. Let me tell you something. God's name is faithful. He has never been unfaithful. He will never be unfaithful. He will always be faithful. And if there is an unfaithfulness going on. It's not on His part. It's on yours. If you're not where He wants you to be, it's not His fault. It's yours. If I'm not where He wants me to be, it's not His fault. It's mine. God is always, always, always faithful. So he blames it on God. And you do this. You do this. We've prayed for them to be healed. They're not healed. I've prayed for financial blessing. I'm still broke. I've prayed for that relationship to be restored. It's not restored. I've prayed for my prodigals to come home. They still haven't come home. And we just keep pointing at God, like, God, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. If I was God, I'd be so sick and tired of people. I mean, don't you ever get sick of people? Am I the only one? Look, I'm a pastor, and I get sick of people. Not you guys, I love you guys. (laughs) Nice save. (laughs) But I'm serious, if I was God, I'd get sick of people. I really get sick of people when they come to me and they don't tell me what they really feel. They try to lie to my face. At least least Joshua was being honest. And he's still trying to throw some etiquette in there. Oh, Sovereign Lord, forgive or pardon your servant right now, but, you know, it would have been better if you didn't do half the things you did. So we pray sometimes. Oh, great and almighty Father, what the heck's going on? Moses you haven't delivered one of them yet. Like. Sin always changes our perspective of the character of God because we don't like to own our junk. We like to throw it off on somebody else. Every relationship that's ever happened that's ever went south in your life was probably the other person's fault. <laughs> Oh come on! Every argument you've ever got into, oh, they started it. <laughs> Every fight, it was their fault. They started it. I mean, remember who started it? It's like Han Solo, who shot first. You know? <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars reference. But it always, always, always is reflected back on God. But here's what here's what we fail to realize. Here's what we fail to realize. See, we always look at loss being bad but I've, I just I said earlier loss isn't bad it isn't good it just is but God has this ability to work everything out for our and his for our good and his glory okay. and see if you keep all those clothes in your closet that don't fit nobody wears them that's why I hate when people hang on to pants. That they're like, well, maybe someday I'll lose three sizes and get back into that. It's like, honey, you ain't ever getting back into that. <laughs> like, like, quit lying to yourself. <laughs> I mean, if it's a motivational piece, then frame it on the wall or something because you ain't ever putting that back on. Like, <laughs> But <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh, you know there's a reason there's more than one exit to the church <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, okay, let's move on <laughs> oh no that's that's good, that's good, oh my goodness so but if you get rid of those clothes, if you give them to someone who can wear them and you get new ones, guess what? Two people are close. If the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, all went to the west side of the Jordan with the other nine and a half tribes, guess what? Israel's area of influence and authority would have been significantly smaller. But because there was separation, their area of influence and authority grew. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and guess what? It talks about persecution coming. And it says that they were forced out. But what do they do? They start planting churches in other countries and in other cities. And the kingdom of God and the gospel impact is increased exponentially. See, that's what I love about the church. You can't kill it. You can't beat it. You can't crush it. You can't squeeze it out. Look, you press us down, we'll overflow. You cut us in half. We we add by subtracting. You take away from our group, we're adding somewhere else. We multiply by division. You split a church, guess what, now we got two that'll become four, that'll become eight, and we just keep growing. You can't kill the church. Look, if this church is everybody in here dies off or leaves and we're left to two or three people, and the doors get closed and the property gets sold, everybody will move somewhere else and churches will still be going on. The kingdom of God, big kingdom, not little church, the kingdom of God will not stop. And if we continue to Focus on our little territorial mindset, we will miss what God's doing, big picture. That's why I don't stress out people leave. I hate that. But, worst case scenario, the church closes, everybody goes to a different church, and the gospel message and impact and the Spirit of God and the promises for this house get accomplished elsewhere. It doesn't matter if it happens here or if it happens five miles down the road or if it happens. Right across the street. God's going to do what He's going to do as long as we continue to remain faithful. I mean, that was a great spot to say amen. God's going to accomplish it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the rock, the revelation of Jesus Christ which is carried out and announced and proclaimed through His church. You can't stop it. You can't hinder it. You can't kill it. You can't beat it. You can't overcome it. The church is going to have the final say. Because we have the Sovereign God, well, now I need to figure out where I'm at <laughs> so they uh they get they get handed to their hind ends handed to them they get they get beat Sig- insignificant little issue, insurmountable obstacle because there was needing to be some separation. Need to be some pruning. And I love it when God responds to to us fit pitching. He says, what are you doing? That's why I like the NIV translation in this, because it, it doesn't make it sound eloquent and beautiful. See, sometimes that's my problem with the KJV. I love the KJV. But sometimes when something needs to sound vulgar, the KJV just doesn't make it sound as vulgar as it needs to be. It sounds fancy. It's hard to insult somebody when you're using these and thou's. Like, how darest thee oppose my, oppose thy house? I don't know. (laughs) That was a terrible, terrible impersonation. I I do love the KJV, but sometimes, because there's a little bit of a language separation, we don't really get the full feeling of what's being communicated. But in this, God, feel like, is very, very abrupt and borderline vulgar in the way that he approaches this why are you on your face look the man has just been praying and interceding for hours yeah he was pitching a fit but he was doing it in the form of a prayer but instead of God saying I'm so proud of you for praying for hours when most of us can't I'm so proud of you for being on your face prostrate for hours God skips all that because he's not a mathematical equation Look, most people would say, if you're dealing with a problem and you lay on your face prostrate for hours, God's going to do something about it. I'm serious. Ask most pastors, hey, I was dealing with a problem. What do you think the solution is? Lay on your face before God. But God says, what are you doing? Why are you coming at me like this? It's not my fault. There's sin in your camp. There are people that are preventing you from going where God wants you to go. They're seasonal soldiers, or in this case, an evil infiltrator, and they need to be cut out from the fellowship. So you go do something about it. You've got the advice. You've got the spiritual strategy. Now go carry it out. And I heard David Wilkerson preach on this one time. And he preached from the perspective of Aiken. And it stuck with me. Because can you imagine Aiken's position? Yeah, he did something stupid. But many of us have done things far worse. Come on, we have. All he did was take a nice outfit and some money. So he stole. Many of us have done way worse than that. Because in God's structure of what sin is, lying is worse than stealing. But Achan's, and they decide to start casting lots. The tribe of Judah is taken, and I can imagine Achan being like, oh, well, that's just one out of 12. There's a lot of people in the tribe of Judah, so they don't necessarily know it's me. And then it's the Zerahites, and he's like, oh, Okay, but that's just my lineage. There's a lot of people in that lineage, so it doesn't necessarily fall back on me. And then it's Zimri, and now it's like, okay, things are getting real serious now. There's just a handful of options. And then it falls on him. And by this point, it's no wonder he fesses up. I mean, I don't know why he didn't fess up sooner. Like, why all of this was necessary, and they had to go through the whole rigmarole but by the time it fell on him, he's like, oh my goodness. And it doesn't just hurt him. It hurts him, hurts his spouse, hurts his children, everything that he owns, all of his servants, everything. Everything gets killed and burnt. And when people are supposed to leave, because God has called them elsewhere, and we make them stay, they could become Achan and their whole family could suffer and we could be just like the tribe of Israel and never step into the victory God has for us because we're worried about numbers listen I don't want the church to shrink I want every seat to be filled but I want you to understand something if someone tells you they're leaving love them tell them they're always welcome and pray for them, don't ask them to stay. Don't ask them to stay. Because asking them to stay could put them in disobedience. And if somebody needs to go, let me handle that. That's part of that's part of my position. Don't ever tell somebody they don't need to be here. Because if you force somebody out that needs to stay, we could wind up in the same position. Do you understand? Now I want to share with you the good news. Can I do that? Can we? The good news. And here's what's, it's good news, but it's also tragic. Achan wanted the garment, the silver, and the gold, right? He wanted the plunder. But there was no plunder in Jericho. But if you go to the very next chapter, go to verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their what? Plunder. God was about to bring in the season of harvest, but Achan couldn't wait, and he wanted harvest during the season of sacrifice. And if we don't get it straight and realize that there's a time of sacrifice, there's a time of sowing, and there's a time of harvest, and we try to harvest during the sacrifice, we won't live to see the true harvest. So when there's a purging going on, just buckle down, devote things to destruction, devote things to God, and keep moving forward because make no mistake, the harvest is coming. And in this case, it followed immediately after Achan left. People are, have left the church. Transition has happened. I get that. And some of it's painful. But well, you know what that tells me? We're at the end of chapter 7 and we're about to step into chapter 8. Come on. We're about to step into chapter 8 and there's plunder there. There's a harvest there. But we just have to hold on. We can't skip a few verses. We've got to wait until this thing processes through because if we try to go too soon, people are going to die. But AI still lost. And they still got the plunder. This time they sent the whole daggum army. They got it straight. That means everybody gets plunder. Everybody gets harvest. And it's coming. But don't try to subvert the process. We're almost there, church. Hang on just a little bit longer. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you thank you God for the fact that you take the time to prune and to purge and to separate when that separation is necessary you're not a marauder just hacking and slashing and cutting things off but you're like a surgeon that comes with that scalpel and you're so detailed and you cut out those things that need to be removed so that healing can occur so that we can move into the season God I thank you for the seasonal soldiers that have helped us come this far that have brought us through the wilderness and across the Jordan and through Jericho but Lord their time to go has come and i bless them and i thank you for the participation and the fellowship that we had during those seasons but lord i thank you for what's coming i thank you for every single empty seat in this place because i know soon it'll be filled i know soon it'll be filled the harvest is coming god just like i thank you for the harvest i thank you for the season of sacrifice and separation Because I know sometimes you've got to clean out our closets to give us new clothes. Thank you, God. Amen. You guys can kill the live stream. All right. Real quick up.